0: What's up guys and welcome back to another episode of the pursuit of creativity podcast. My name is AJ Cruz your host and we're here with a stud. This guy's a stallion. This guy's a workhorse. He works so hard. This guy he's a creative in many different aspects and that's why I wanted to put him on this podcast. His name is Nick Rucker. He is a country music artist. He's an avid crossfitter. I mean, like I said, this guy's a stallion. This guy's built like a bull. It's insane. (laughs) He is a military vet and is currently in the Nebraska National Guard. And now he is going to be soon a published author with his new book, which is going to be called Time Cap time cap. So Nick Rucker, um, I want to ask you a few questions, but initially I'd like to start off with like an origin story. So kind of tell us who you are, what you're about, and then talk to us about your childhood and what the family dynamic was growing up.
1: Um, I grew up in a small, small town in Missouri, Hopkins, Missouri. It was uh, just just about 500 people. And really my background with uh, my family life was uh, my dad wasn't around most of my childhood and i had a stepdad that i really didn't get along with very well and so most of my time was spent with either my mom Um, i had a little sister that lived with us and then um, i spent time locked away writing and writing and writing and i remember many days of just coming home after school and writing poetry writing short stories writing in a diary and eventually that turned into Uh, writing song lyrics that um, at the time were, I would say, comparable to like Stained, that Aaron Lewis kind of feel like uh, very dark macabre uh, (laughs) (laughs) lyrics that... I was a teenage kid that was going through stuff, and it was like my outlet for that. And in a small town of 500 people where it's a country, uh, very redneck heavy, uh, it was... Hard to find an identity, um, if that makes sense. It was hard for me to identify as a musician um, mm-hmm. because I still felt like all my best friends were rednecks, and I was like, one day I would dress in a Nine Inch Nails T-shirt, the next day <laughs> I would dress in a in uh, some kind of uh, country western shirt, and I had no idea what was going on. So, <laughs> sure. eventually figured it out. Um, I found my own kind of niche, and. As time progressed, it was uh, I would hang out with my friends. We started a band about I want to say my sophomore to a junior year. Uh, um, it was kind of a metal band. We played a lot of uh, System of a Down um, mm. stuff like that, heavier stuff. We just needed a outlet for mm-hmm. frustrations because we were all kind of going through the same thing. Um, it was interesting. It was it was a good time. We spent most of our summers just. Um, our guitarist, his family, was building a new house, and they still lived in their old house, but they let us use the new house that they were building as our practice space. Nice. So How old were you when you started this band? Um, we were, I want to say, 15, 16-ish. Hmm. Uh, young. Yeah, so um, only the guitarist was old enough to drive, so he would have to come into town <laughs> and pick us all up and then bring us out there until finally we all started getting our licenses and um, driving out there. Learn. Um, but we played a lot of shows together and eventually that turned into kind of me watching somebody else play guitar. And I was like, uh, I want to do that, but I don't know how. And so, uh, for me, it was just listening to the radio at the time. Cause the internet really wasn't a thing yet. And I would listen to songs on the radio and try to pick out just the root notes. Um, and eventually I got to where I was churning Root notes into chords, and then chords into songs. And I remember like one of the first songs I learned how to play um, was Come As You Are by Nirvana. And just that transition in chords, I think, uh, helped me get used to uh, Mm -hmm. transitioning between chords. For sure. And also never really gave up on the writing. We wrote a couple of songs, Mm -hmm. um, original songs, together as a band. And I still... It's funny, but to this day... Um, remember most of the lyrics to those songs, I think, just because they they meant so much. And at the time, we were all pretty heavily into Tool. And uh, I remember we were trying to write this breakdown that was like, kind of Tool um, sounding, and it was probably not at all, but (laughs) that I remember. Um, But to us, it was. (laughs) Um, But most of our families were gracious enough to um, accommodate to our passions and mm-hmm. what we wanted to do. I remember my mom letting us use the basement in our house to practice, and she was all about it. And um, eventually, you know, that turned into uh, we all went our separate ways. Two of the guys went to art school. Ben, uh, who has been one of my good friends for a long time, he went on to become a psychologist and got a degree in that, and works in as a child psychologist in Joplin, nice. Missouri. And <clears throat> we all still. Kind of keep in contact, but there's no reunion tour um, yeah. about to come around. Yeah. That would be, be interesting, but no. Um, so then I got out. It's, I was kind of lost there for a few years um, after high school and trying to figure out what am I going to do um, with my life, I think as most people are. And it turned into, well, let's uh, move to Kansas City. Tried that for a couple of years. It just really didn't pan out for me. Um, and then army came along and um so i was like well let's do this and see what happens uh so seven years and two deployments later um as time kind of progressed um i started writing more and more um, of my own songs which to me were more country oriented songs more about uh real life events and and love and mm-hmm. all of this stuff. So. And this was
0: this was all when you were overseas, right?
1: Um, some of it was. Uh, most of it was uh, once I got back. Um, whenever I was overseas in Iraq, I was playing a lot of covers, doing a mm-hmm. lot of cover videos on YouTube, and just me playing a crappy one hundred and fifty dollar guitar that I bought at a, <laughs> at a, at a bazaar in Baghdad, Iraq, and so. After, as the my time in the military was starting to dwindle down, it was getting to be about 2015. Um, I really started hitting songwriting uh, heavy. Um, I got in touch with some friends, oh, well, friends now, um, just acquaintances then, that um, did an open mic night at uh, RC McGraw's in Manhattan, Kansas. And so my friend that I uh, call like best friend now, Stuart Ray. He was like, Hey, come down. I met him. I remember very vividly walking up on stage and introducing myself the first time. And I'd never really done a, a open mic night mm-hmm. or anything like that. And so I played this song, Love You a Little Longer. And there was no whoa, you know, there's, <laughs> it's not what you think. There is, it was not like uh, love at first sight. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was more of like, well, that's a good song. And so he was like, hey, you should try out this uh, Nashville Songwriters Association group that we have, uh, this chapter in uh, Manhattan. So I started, I went to a couple of those meetings and basically it was uh, five or six songwriters meet up at a uh, Blue Bird Coffee, I think it was what it was called or something like that in manhattan and you bring a song that you wrote you play it and everybody in the room kind of critiques it and i brought that song and everybody's like this is a good song you mm-hmm. know like you should record it uh there was no like hey this is gonna be your next hit yeah or anything sure. yeah it was more like hey just keep doing it
0: just keep doing it yeah yeah
1: don't stop <laughs> yeah for sure and so that Led into, okay, now I'm addicted to doing this. So now I need to write more songs <laughs> so I can come in here with new material. You, know? you, you ended
0: up getting like an obsession with it, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah definitely. I was writing all the time, you know, mm-hmm. and honestly, still living in the barracks at Fort Riley, I had all the time in the world to do that. Um, so I cranked out six songs, which are on my first EP that I put out in 2015. And <clears throat> honestly, I've always been kind of like fly by the seat of your pants. I know, like, AJ, you've recorded a music video with Tim Miller, mm-hmm. um, who was a good friend of mine, that I was in a band with him um, many years ago, yeah. Alone After All, which was a, uh, primarily a metal band. Yeah. And I know we recorded that for our CD in Lincoln, <clears throat> I think, if I remember right. And as we were going into it the night before, Tim kept saying, dude, you got to write the lyrics to these songs. Like, we don't have any lyrics. And so I'm like, well, I don't like, I don't know how to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it turned into the night before staying up until three in the morning, <laughs> writing all five songs, lyrics, like re- the night before we For went sure. into the studio, I hadn't sang them. I hadn't mm-hmm. practiced them. It was more of like, well, let's just see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we went into the studio that next day and recorded and it was just like, Okay, everything kind of – there's there's some places in there now that I listen to it yeah. that I'm like, oh, this is kind of dead air. <clears throat> Overall, as far as writing, flying by the seat of my pants, that's how it's always kind of yeah, been. Yeah, for sure. So I was going out uh, to record that first EP in Denver uh, with Jonathan Hutchins, uh, who used to be in Prank Monkey, uh band in Maryville, Missouri that we used to play with um, back in the day. And he was like, "Yeah, come out." And I just set up a studio, and I'll do it for free. And I was like, "Okay, well," he said, "free, so let's do, yeah, <laughs> let's definitely sure. do it," you know. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. I went on. So I, I know nobody probably knows unless you're in the military that yeah. on a long weekend you have, uh, I think it's a 250 mile radius or something like that that you can travel. In within you can't go outside of that mm-hmm. because if you got called up to duty or something you have to be anyway. So Denver was not within that 250 mile radius. Mm-hmm. So I took my chances and I was like, I'm going to drive there on this long weekend. <laughs> and um, so I drove out to Denver, got out there. Everything was just fine on the way out. I had all I had five songs that I had wrote mm-hmm. over or written over time and was going to record those while on the way there, I was like, I want to write this other song that I've been messing with. And, um, I was like, how am I going to do this? So, okay. Well, I was a huge, huge into Dirk Bentley at the time. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of wanted a Dirk Bentley type song. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, Tire Tracks and Taillights was born, um, mm-hmm. on the way, the drive to Denver. So that was written and I'd never played it. And as we got into the studio, I started to record it, and I was like, I don't know what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know what to do. And it's a very basic song, um, and it was very easy to write, and it, the chorus is just kind of repeated a, a lot. But it turned out there's a lot of people that liked it once yeah, it came sure. out. And so uh, we recorded it, and then on the drive back from Denver, Denver, a huge snowstorm hit. And so I was driving back on a Sunday morning, and we had recorded that morning all like the mm-hmm. night night before all six songs and finished up vocals that morning. And I was like, dude, I got to go because like this, I can't get stuck here. Mm-hmm. And so I started driving literally the drive from Denver to Fort Riley, which was six, seven hours mm-hmm. turned into 10, 11 hours because Ooh. I was driving like 45 all the way. And I, but I got back, it was like, uh, I want to say like 11, 12, that next night and ever since then uh those those songs have just kind of i wouldn't say that like they would they have done great things for me mm-hmm. um but they definitely did great things for me personally mm-hmm. as far as being a songwriter and knowing that okay i can do this now absolutely and not to be like oh i'm never gonna do that again that was fun once you know sure. so that took me to country stampede um in 2000. 15, I believe. Um, so it's a songwriter's competition. You uh, enter a song into it, and if it's, like, you get enough votes, you can win, you can play up on the big stage at Country Stampede, which is, like, the huge biggest it's country big music, yeah. music festival. Ended up, like, being me neck and neck with another guy at the very end of it. And honestly, it was all because of votes. And this guy beat me. And yeah. it was, like, it wasn't, like, super depressing, but I saw – Um, as far as like all the glitz and glamour of yeah you'll get to play on the main stage and all this which is cool Mm -hmm. but you end up playing at a time of day when nobody's there and you're playing for like your family that was like oh yeah I just paid a hundred and some (laughs) dollars to watch you play whenever I can do this in the living room (laughs) (laughs) so I did it one more time and um, then I was like this is a Kind of a joke like to me it was mm-hmm. i was like i should be looking at other um avenues opportunities. It was, yeah opportunities anything and it was it, it was cool it was a good experience i got to did did get to play in the songwriter's tent there which there was more people in there than i felt like on the main stage so i was like this is
0: <laughs> this is better yeah. This is better.
1: <laughs> yeah we're in the shade sure. and and uh um but no then Honestly, that's like, as far as my backstory, then it just kind of turns into, I got out of the army and, um, we met, uh, yeah. we did, yeah. we did uh, uh, you know, fairly uh, recently too. Like, yeah. After, like right? a couple of years ago. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's only been a couple of years and I had got to, um, basically had a, my drinking, um, Issues, which most, I mean, if you know me and know my backstory, yeah. most people know that I was an alcoholic at one yeah. point and overcame that um, almost four years ago. So at the time, that was for me to get over the alcoholism and find another outlet. Um, it was music still. And so I started writing uh, what became the EP, uh, my second EP, After Everything, which mm-hmm. um, was did a lot of good things for me. And so I was trying to find somewhere to go and record it, and I had talked to some guys. Um, I had started recording one song in Ashland at Universal's, um, or World, I can't remember. It's one of the recordings, yeah, too. I one can't of remember. them. <laughs> yeah. And um, it was just not what I wanted to do. If it wasn't the sound, I was like, okay, this isn't what I'm going for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had just randomly reached out to Dan Marsal of story of the year and said, Hey man, like you don't know me. I'm not a you know, yeah. I'm not mental. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but what uh, uh what I'd like to do is like I'd like to record music with you and I saw that you have a recording studio and would it be cool. No, like, no plan at all. Like, I did not think it was going to work. You know what I mean? Um, That's one of those guys that, like, growing up, like, I watched videos and videos of him, you know, and those guys, story that you're playing. And you're just like,
0: this was a poster on my wall at one point. You just took a shot. Like, you just took a shot to, like, reach out and be like, ah, like just completely out of the blue yeah 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 and i had sent hundreds of emails like
1: that like and it's it's crazy like there was uh richard patrick of filter i sent one to and and um as as funny as it seems like scott stapp of creed and all of these musicians that i felt like had kind of molded my sound growing Mm up and Two of them responded. So wow. Richard Patrick of Filter had responded, and and I had basically reached out to him about sobriety. Richard was going on, I think, 15 or 16 years of sobriety, and I was like, dude, like, I'm in probably the same boat you're in whenever you hit rock bottom. What can you do to help me? Mm-hmm. And it was a year later that Richard responded from the day that I sent that. And I remember it clear as day. I was driving back to play a show in Bedford, Iowa, and... I was getting to a zone where I was going to start losing signal. And I get this message on Instagram that was like, Nick, what's up, man? Hopefully everything worked out and that you're okay and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, I just remember (laughs) slamming on the brakes. And I was like, I'm going to lose signal and pulled over on the side of the road. And, uh, like, I was like, oh crap. I'm going to like, it was luckily like right before it, I was sitting there writing and I'm like, uh, Richard, dude, you like basically you saved my life in a weird way, like you did, and uh, thank you for everything that you've done, even though you don't have any yeah. idea what you've done. Uh, so he uh, reached out, and then he and I talked for a few days, and then finally I was like, "Dude, will you just call me? Like, just give me a call. We'll chat, and that'd be a lot easier than yeah. communicating through Instagram." And so I remember I was working at the apartment complex then. And he was like, yeah, I'll call you at this time. And so I'm sitting in um, leasing apartments down here, and I get a phone call on my phone that's like California. And I'm like, I don't know anybody in California, but I knew it was him. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there, and there's somebody in my office that I'm supposed to be leasing an apartment to. (laughs) And I'm talking and I'm like, oh, what do I do? Like, um, I got to go. Like, I just remember like stalling and stalling. I was like, hey, I got to go do this. And so I left. (laughs) I went outside and I'm like, oh, my God. He's like, hey, Nick, how's it going? And I'm like... Richard Patrick a filter I just kind of fangirled for a second I'm like okay this is all gonna blow over but like right now I need to freak out yeah and so we talked for probably an hour while this person sat in the office and I'm like oh yeah oh man so what what was great is that I went back in and they still leased an apartment I was like I'm sorry for the delay um, you know, and I gave him like this gas card that I had in my, I was like, hey, here's a $50 gas card because I wasted your time. Yeah. Like, but you still lease, So we're good. Um, <laughs> and so that all took place. And then Dan responded, uh, Dan Marsal of story of the you responded and said, dude, I would love to record music with you. And I was like, oh, okay, like, what's happening right now? Like, why is my life coming together? (laughs) This isn't supposed to happen. Um, So uh, we set up a time for me to go down and record uh, one song, which originally it was uh, my song, Because of You. And I knew my friend Tim Miller was a huge story. You're a fan just like I was. And I was like, dude, like, I want to figure out a way to get you involved in this uh, so that we can, like, do this together. This Mm -hmm. is fucking awesome. Yeah. And so he said, uh, "How about I play guitar?" And I was like, "Deal, yeah. deal, done." And uh, so we loaded up in my car and drove down there. And I was like, "Oh crap! Like, how am I gonna explain to Dan yeah. that I have a black swan tattooed on my arm from his Black Swan album yeah. from 2003?" So I like on the drive down there, I was like sending him a message, I'm like, hey, by the way, (laughs) I'm not, (laughs) once again, I'm not mental or anything, Um, but I have your uh, Black Swan album cover uh, tattooed on my forearm, and that was honestly, (laughs) the Black Swan explanation was because I felt that I always wanted to get a tattoo, and Mm -hmm. that was the tattoo I always wanted to get because I felt like we were born into innocence as Mm -hmm. a white swan, and as life goes on, things happen, and we all take on a form of a black swan. And that's, to me, that's what that meant. And so after getting sober, I was like, well, this is an ideal time to do that. This is going to be kind of my sobriety tattoo. Um, It made that happen. So we get down there and it's like we're getting ready to walk in, pull up in front of his house. And you're thinking, oh, this dude's going to have a sweet house. Well, he doesn't. (laughs) It's just like, uh, you know, one story with a basement. And you're like, he's like, yeah, come around back. My kids are upstairs. And you're like, oh, this is real deal. It's like Dan's a dad. And like, you know, story of the year was, you know, totally 2003. But it's still, you know, it was cool. We were walking in and you just saw him like through the window. You're like, oh god like like, this is i've watched this guy on so many youtube videos and watched him live and like here it is like like, this is happening yeah, yeah yeah so we went in we recorded a song and then i was like dude i'd like to record four more with you if that's cool and he was like yeah whenever you can come down and so over probably it was like six to eight months um where he recorded those five songs and then eventually i was like we started getting you know having a relationship together like becoming friends and i was like dude it would be sweet if like you sang on one of these songs with me and so like um on my song um after you read this he sings uh during the bridge on the song and which is cool it's mm-hmm. just cool to say hey he did that it's
0: like a, like, like a little memento kind of yeah like your song yeah
1: yeah, yeah. and it's it's cool to tell my friends you know like hey this is for sure this happened for sure um and then you know after that that's that's pretty much my backstory. story the until, rest is history yeah the rest <laughs> is history you for know. sure uh we shot some music videos together and started just all of my money that i was mm-hmm. uh acquiring through music started going back into music it wasn't so much like uh anymore of my money that I was making was going to alcohol. It was going Mm -hmm. to
0: straight back into the, yeah,
1: straight back into shooting a music video, um, recording more music, buying guitars. Um, and all of a sudden just like, Oh, this makes sense. If I want something, you know, this is how I have to make it happen to get it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, but that's kind of like in a nutshell yeah what what my life has been like for sure
0: that was the most thorough story that (coughs) i've ever heard and it was just like it was more for me just i don't know i was enthralled by the story because it was so in depth and the reason i say that you're a workhorse is because if you if you've been listening for the past 22 minutes like everything that you said and everything that you've accomplished thus far just even in your backstory like purely comes from just working your ass off and being consistent with the work that you've been putting in. There were, there were a lot of things in that, that I kind of wanted to hit on. And I'm trying to keep like mental notes. Cause normally I keep a book with me, but one of the things I wanted to hit on just like right now was you said that when you were learning guitar, you would like, you didn't take lessons, right? I took uh, one lesson from a blind guy named, yeah. named Dave Mr. Miyagi here, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in
1: Maryville, Missouri. And he tried to teach me how to play one last breath by Creed and I was like, uh, probably not gonna from do a, that. From a blind yeah, guy, yeah. just <laughs> like him, and I'll just try to continue doing what I'm for doing, sure. looking at Guitar World magazines for so. sure.
0: And I think that's the thing is, it's like in a creative field, whether that's cooking, dancing, whatever it is, like. The fact that, the, like the pure fact in the obsession of the fact that you wanted to learn how to play guitar and you just, you were like, I'm just going to teach myself. And the, like you said in there, you were like, I was listening to like the radio and I was trying to find the root notes. And then from there, those root notes turned into chords and those chords finally turned into songs. It's like, how much, how much time do you think you put in, like genuinely put in trying to learn how to play the guitar just by yourself?
1: Thousands of hours. Yeah. Like, and it was, I remember cause everybody that comes up to me and asks, Hey, um I want to learn how to play guitar. How do I do it? And mm. it's like I don't even know. Like <laughs> uh, and you know, it's like I was I feel like I stumbled upon it like it was my calling and mm. it made it was easy for me, but I remember at times it wasn't wasn't easy Absolutely. at all, you know, and just trying to learn chord transitions and everything else, it was I it was an uphill battle I felt mm. like most of the time. But I think that goes to show that anything that you are passionate about, um, you're going to find a way, mm-hmm. and regardless of of what you know, blockades get in the way, you're going to find ways around it mm-hmm. if you want to do it. Absolutely. And so you can, <clears throat> to me, it's like, if I'm going to go up, and I kind of have the mindset nowadays of like, if I can't figure it out. I don't feel like anybody's really going to be able to tell me how to do it. I feel like over time I'm going to figure it out kind of in my own way. And so when somebody asks me, how do I learn how to do this? And it's, to me, it's just like, you got to buy a guitar. And if you're passionate about it, you're going to figure it out. There's no me telling you to go get lessons at Guitar Center or, or, anywhere in town it's just you gotta do it man like yeah and it's not gonna come easy it's just not something that's
0: easy to figure out for sure i really i really admire the like the tenacity of like what it takes to be a creative because like you have to have that drive and that want to learn if you don't have that then it's i don't want to say it but it's like you're kind of gonna to come to like a stagnant, like standstill. Like, it's like, if you get a guitar and you're like, I really want to learn a guitar, but like, yeah, I don't really want to put in the work to learn it. It's like then you're not gonna learn it. Right. If you want to be a photographer and you're like, I want to learn how to take really dope pictures, but I don't really want to take the time to go to school or take the time to hang out with the people who are the best at it or put yourself in those situations where you can learn. Yeah. It's like. <laughs> it, you're not gonna you're not gonna succeed in like the creative field because the creative field is a very tough very brutal very strenuous field to try and be successful in no. and I've noticed like just throughout you telling me your story like there are very defined moments where I'm like damn like this guy is built to be a creator. this guy was built to be a musician this guy was built to be an author it's because like you know you're sitting there saying I put in th- thousands of hours trying to learn how to like play, play the guitar but it's like you also mentioned how Like, while you were in the military, you couldn't leave a 250-mile radius, but you were like, F it. I'm going to go out to, like, Denver, Colorado, was that? Yeah. Yeah, out to Denver, Colorado and, like, record music. Like, no matter what, you were going to do things no matter what. Yeah. Like, and I love that. I love that in creatives because, like, some of the biggest people I look up to, they're like, I'm going to be successful in this field whether it kills me or not. Yeah. And I love that stuff in you. And it's like, what do you think – what do you think it takes to be successful in a creative field?
1: I remember this quite well. Um And to me, it was always like uh, when I first started out, it was booking a show mm-hmm. Um and I couldn't, I had maybe 10 songs and that they were all a couple of mine, but like um it was more cover songs mm-hmm. and I could barely play them. I know I sounded <laughs> yeah. like shit. And so I was trying to get in with local acts in Maryville in that area and nobody really wanted to bring me on. And so I rented out a place and paid $50 to rent it out. And I held a, a show there and I did it two or three times and I was like, okay, so I've got to find a way to make this kind of pay me back mm-hmm. rather than, cause I'm not going to like, I felt like I have the money to rent this place out. I'm not going to ask somebody else for money. Yeah. And yeah. So basically I felt like the time that I started saying, okay, so I'm going to start following this person, this person, this person. Okay. What are they doing right now that I should be doing? Mm-hmm. Okay. They're playing these songs. They're doing this, they're doing this. All right. I'm going to follow them around for a while. They didn't know it. You know, it's <laughs> <Yeah>. just more <laughs> of like, I'm going to eventually pass you. Yeah. I'm going to eventually pass you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, slowly became that it was slowly uh, a leapfrog I was watching these local acts do this do that Mm -hmm. and it's like okay so I need to get better at singing and I would post videos and videos and videos and people would be like some people were brutally honest critiques and it's like I needed to hear that at the Mm -hmm. time at the time it was like probably at the time I was like oh well sad about Mm -hmm. it a little bit you know but it's like I know where I messed up, you know, it's let's take some ownership in it and let's make it better. Yeah. And so over time I just kept jamming it out and you know, it, it became to where I was, I was booking 50 shows a year and man, me going in, that's what made me better was like for one stage presence. It Mm -hmm. was all about, um, I'm going to get up here and just do it. And whatever I say, nobody's gonna care. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's no book that says this is how you're supposed to be on stage. Absolutely. Um, as long as you bring energy in that you don't sell yourself as a fake and phony, uh, people are gonna are gonna love you. Being they're gonna be about it. Yeah, and yeah. they're gonna come back. Mm-hmm. And so um once I started booking more like and playing fifty shows a year, and then it turned into like eighty shows a year, um, then I was like holy shit, you yeah, know, like I, I like did this, it, yeah. you know, like I felt like I was being successful. Mm-hmm. And one time I went to play a show in Kansas and I was a fill, I was filling in for somebody that couldn't make it. And I was playing on a flatbed trailer and, and I was standing up there and, you know, in my uh, show, I'll throw in Backstreet Boys covers. I'll throw in oh, whatever, yeah. whatever people want to hear that yeah. stuff. You know, I don't care. I, yes, I'm a country act, but Who cares, you know? And for me, it was one of not so much my arch nemesis in country music, but it was somebody that I knew that didn't like me Mm -hmm. and what I was doing. And so he was running sound for that show. And I was like, okay, here we go. And I played that. I play every song that I knew he would hate. And, and at the end of the show, I could just see it in his eyes, just like, oh, talking to other people, like, let's not like this guy, you yeah. know? And it's, to me, I'm like, I am totally winning right yeah. now. Um, and uh, so after that show, they had said, some, somebody had made the comment that, well, there we can't get any shows anymore as a full band because mm-hmm. nobody wants to pay for that because there's guys like Nick that will go out and play for half the price mm-hmm. and put on just as good of a show. And I was like that in a way that's like, oh, okay, sorry. Yeah, for sure. Um but in another way it's like that's good to hear mm-hmm. cuz you know, and so that honestly to me it was like the keys to being successful are being consistent, mm-hmm. repetitive, doing the same things over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um being able to say that doesn't work and Getting rid of it and really just listening to the people. And it's hard. Like, it's probably one of the hardest things I've ever done is walking up onto a stage in like a new place you've never played before and thinking, I don't know what's going to work. And throwing your heart out there and doing the best to your ability and having everybody just crickets in the room. And you're mm-hmm. like, as long as I'm packing up my car and I'm mm-hmm. like, I did the best that I could. Absolutely. Yeah, and I'm tired, and I, <laughs> yeah. and it's one in the morning. Hey, that to me that's successful. Absolutely. Um, even if nobody, really, there's always somebody in the room for that sure. walks up after, and they're like, "Dude, that one song, like I haven't either heard that since the '90s, or I loved your song, yeah. this one." So, to me, that that to being successful is being consistent
0: mm-hmm. and just really not taking no for an answer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And being genuine. Like, yeah. I think that was like that. That was, that was the one, that was one of the things that you said that I was like, damn, like that, that out of being consistent and everything else, like being consistently genuine and like true to who you are is like probably the best way to find your success right. and like knowing who you are. Um, you said that when you would like post like YouTube videos yeah. that you would get a lot of bad, like you would get some like very brutal critiques. And I think a lot of creatives um, who are trying to pursue like any sort of creative field, they take those critiques too literally or too much to heart. And then that kind of demotivates them. How did those critiques affect you? And like, how did you handle them? How do you think that people should handle them? Yeah. Um, So for me,
1: it was, I was getting messages on Facebook of people that didn't have the, have the tenacity to, I guess, to post it on the post, Mm -hmm. but they would tell me in comments and on messenger. And then people would post on there. And honestly like i'm not one of those people that's going to get drawn into drama on the internet Mm -hmm. and there was people from back home that were like oh this isn't country blah 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 and they were just really ripping me up and to me at first it was like maybe i'm not you know like at the beginning i was like okay maybe maybe this is a joke you had doubts yeah i had my doubts about myself and and so i'm like over time i got used to that well it's like when I would get messages from people that were... It was honestly coming from a very jealous mm-hmm. um, outlook on things. I once got called a man-boob narcissist.
0: Love that one. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: for for posting the videos. Um, and it was like, hey, this is free. Yeah. And I can do whatever I want. Yeah. As you're long your own as person. You can yeah. do whatever you want to do. Yeah. And so if I want to post 100 videos in one mm-hmm. day, that's totally up to me and I can do that. Mm-hmm. So... If you have a problem with it, you don't have to watch the videos, man. Um, So um dealing with those, it was just like in one ear and out the other. There was nobody that was, uh, you know, close to me that I cared enough about that was making comments like, mm-hmm. you should stop doing this. No, everybody that was within my inner circle was always positive and always like, keep it going, mm-hmm. keep it going, you know. And of course, there's always family members that thinking I'm chasing a neon rainbow and and not really... Like mm-hmm. this is a pipe dream and but it, I'm getting to the point now where it's like Is it? It's Yeah. I'm driving down Dodge yeah. and there's a billboard with my face on I it. I wanted to get into yeah. that. I, want, I wanted to get
0: into that. So yeah. like you've had from like I've I've like followed you and I've been like I've been following your journey and like ever since we've been able to connect, what was it like early twenty eighteen? Was it yeah. a couple of years ago, right? Yeah and like ever since we've been able to connect i've been able to like follow like your journey you know you you got onto a like a television show right like you were on the news down in alabama right you have your face on a fucking billboard dude yeah Yeah. you drive down dodge and your face is just blown up on a billboard and then also what i've also heard is that you're on pandora yeah like what what did you have to do and how hard did you have to grind and how long did you have to grind to even make those type of things happen the billboard was expensive.
1: We'll just say that. To start yeah. there just to be clear, there was nobody that paid for that for yeah. me. That was me. Um and it was uh a combination of okay, what's working, what's not working, driving down these roads that are, you know, have ninety thousand cars driving down them a week. And you're like, okay, well, you look at it from your perspective. You say, am I really clicking on any links that are like sponsored on Instagram mm-hmm. or sponsored on Facebook? No, I'm scrolling past them. Cause I'm like, it's I got, I want, yeah. It's yeah. like, I don't <laughs> want to see that. shit. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like that, that I've tried that mm-hmm. and it, it didn't do anything for me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, you know what, this is going to make a larger ripple for mm-hmm. me, I believe. And I looked at it from a a perspective of not so much hey i 'm going to get a hundred thousand streams for this Spotify ad that I have on a billboard mm-hmm. it 's more of like who 's going to see that and think, Who is this guy mm-hmm. and what is he doing mm-hmm. and is he, and obviously i 'm a musician so um, and you know what 's funny about Omaha is that there is a lot of big name musicians that actually reside here that nobody knows mm-hmm. about and. <clears throat> it wasn't even me that was told I interviewed for the Omaha world Herald a couple years ago. And Kevin Coffey, uh, the music uh, writer told me about a few. And mm-hmm. I was like, I had no idea that somebody from the Foo Fighters like that is, you know, like a part of the Foo Fighters lives here in Omaha. Yeah. And it's like, okay, that's crazy. Yeah. And you don't even think about that. But to me, it's like, okay, they might see it. They may listen to it. But, you know, who's going to see it? Who's going to hear it? Who's going to be that one mm-hmm. person that picks it up and listens to it? Um, And then, um, what else did we talk about? Pandora. There? Yeah, Pandora. Yeah. That was just grueling. Yeah. Pandora is, <clears throat> to me... Whenever I upload all my music to CD Baby, they distribute it to mm-hmm. all of the uh, digital platforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, they push it to Pandora, but Pandora ultimately decides what gets on there. It's just yeah. not automatically put on there. So Pandora denied my first CD five times. And I was like, threw in the towel. I was like, I don't even know what to do. And then I started second guessing my music at the time. And this one, I put it out and I was like, this is going to be the EP that's going to get on Pandora. I was like, there's no reason why it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. I sound like everybody else is as far as, you know, professionally mastered and mixed and mm-hmm. it sounds good. And so it got sent over from CD Baby, did not get accepted. It didn't? Nope. So I sent it probably 30 times and yeah. I just kept doing it, kept doing it. For how long? Um, over the course of the past two years, like just kept doing it and doing it, and they just kept rejecting it, rejecting mm-hmm. it, and I would just as soon as they said no, push it again mm-hmm. and it would it takes like a month each mm-hmm. time for for that to actually them to like their dec- with yeah the decision process yeah and so a lot of times honestly like if you don 't have music on Pandora unless you 're just like the next best thing, like mm-hmm. you really won 't get noticed mm-hmm. by anybody yeah sure. and so i was like i need to keep grinding this out grinding it out well like a month ago i somebody goes dude your music's on pandora i've been like checking like for the past year or so and here it is and i didn't even know i was just like wow, wow. okay so i go on there type in my name pulls up my 2018 ep after everything and i was like holy shit it's on there yeah (laughs) oh my god i didn't even know for sure (laughs) and so i'm like Okay, now I'm going to listen to all five of these tracks again just because it's, I guess, different listening uh, to it on Pandora. No, it's sure. not at all, but <laughs> it's the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then I submitted my next, uh, my single that came out uh, about a month ago, and it automatically it was just on there. And so once I was a verified musician on Pandora, it's yeah, just kind like, of like... starts accepting it? Yeah, I'm just going to throw yeah. everything at it now.
0: Like, yeah, For sure. Yeah. For sure. So. I think that's huge, especially for like if you're a music artist out there listening to this podcast, like don 't give up if you send your song out to five radio stations and all five of them deny it. I mean, I just interviewed another musician who was like, "I sent my song out to three hundred or like two hundred or three hundred like different like d j s radio stations, whatever, and it got accepted by two yeah. and like that 's the thing is it 's like you just you just have to put in the fucking work like yeah. that 's it um there's there 's a segment in this podcast that I wanted to hit on really quick, and we 're kind of coming up close to the end of time, but I really wanted to get your insight on this, but the, the segment's called creative catastrophes. And the whole idea behind it is I interview creatives about, um, what they think is probably their biggest failure, whether that's on stage, like behind the scenes or whatever it is in the career field that they're doing. And I wanted to kind of get your insight on what that failure was and then how you handled that failure.
1: There's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of times where, um, not so much, No, like lose your cool, but you have bad shows where Mm -hmm. it's like, you're, you feel like you're running out of there ready to just break, to have a breakdown in your car Mm -hmm. on the drive (laughs) home. And so there's not really one, um, time that I guess for me, it's just, I'm able to roll with the punches. And now at this point and Mm -hmm. kind of, so looking back, I know that there was a few times that I played a show and it was just like, Wow. Like, you know, everybody in the crowd, there's people coming up, and they're just like, dude, play this, and mm. then you don't. And then they're like, you know, you suck, man. And it's like, <laughs> okay, like, well, you get up here and do what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and so um, there's plenty of those times, catastrophes like that. Yeah, I think absolutely. some of the the worst <laughs> times is, like, when you're low on money and you want – you see an opportunity and you know you can't do it because mm-hmm. you don't have the funds to do it. That's probably the worst and so it comes down to being good at saving and having a savings mm-hmm. for just creative. Uh, and that's what I call it as my creative fund, because I pull from I, I had that money for music, but also I considered this book that I that I wrote uh, creative. Mm-hmm. So it's like, OK, well, I've got music or I've got money now to publish that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What inspired you to write that book? Uh, that was ten years in the in the making, and it, honestly, it was diaries. It was uh, diaries from Iraq. It was diaries from Afghanistan, and then uh, life after uh, both of those deployments, and kind of going through the alcoholic phase um, of my life, Absolutely. and coming out of that. And so, really, the I'd always been kind of a writer, and I. I've just kind of stumbled upon, Hey, I'm going to keep a journal while I'm in Iraq. Mm -hmm. And then that just became a thing during the second deployment. And honestly, looking back now, I wish that if I'd known this is what I was going to do, I would have wrote a lot more. Absolutely. Um, Because, you know, I typed it all up and I had a Ashley Sprague uh, down in Alabama actually helped me edit everything. Mm -hmm. And she was the one that was like, you got to do this. And I was like, Oh, I would drug my feet so much. And, So hats off to her for the hard work she put in. Mm -hmm, (laughs) Um, But I just kept grinding it out and grinding, and we sat here, and I sat here, and we edited that book for the past year, Mm -hmm. and by the time it was done, it was just like, okay, like there was nights you sat here and cried and like just going back through all those stories of, of things that happened. And I was just like, I don't know if I'm ready for the world to see this, you know, or hear Mm -hmm. this or read this and be that into my life. And I'm, like I said, spur of the moment kind of Mm -hmm. just like, um, do things. I just started shopping around for publishers and then finally got picked up by one. Mm -hmm. And it was like, just do it. That's what, In my brain, that's what it said. Just mm-hmm. do it. We'll deal with it later. Like, what's going to If yeah. there's any repercussions. You'll
0: cross the bridge when you get to it. Yeah. yeah. You know, I
1: mean, that money will be there, yeah. you know, as far as... And mm-hmm. that's what financially I was thinking. of. Mm-hmm. Like, how am I going to financially be able to support this? Yeah. And it was like, dude, you have the money. You just are afraid. Mm-hmm. And it comes down to fear. Mm-hmm. And I think that as far as creative catastrophes goes... Fear is going to be the main reason anybody has a creative catastrophe. I love that. And for me, that's what it was. It was like I had to overcome the fear of putting myself out there enough to probably help other people, is what I'm thinking mm-hmm. is going to happen. And other people to see a story of somebody that's able to. Put the armor down mm-hmm. and say, this was what actually happened. Mm-hmm. And this is who I am. And I know you're like that probably too. Yeah, and absolutely. And it's, it's okay to talk yeah, about take it. Take that leap. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That doesn't make me any less of a person or man or anything mm-hmm. like that. It just means that it happened mm-hmm. and I'm able to share it. And I think that people are going to find it interesting. Mm-hmm. So, and probably tie to it a little bit. Mm-hmm. So,
0: I think... um that sums up what I was gonna uh, what I initially like kind of wanted to lead to was what was the biggest lesson you learned in your pursuit of creativity and like I think that's probably the best answer that I've ever received is the lesson of trying to learn how to overcome your fear Mm -hmm. of like taking leaps or like taking chances taking the risks it's like I don't even know if I can sum it up any better than you can (laughs) but like if you like just rewind back to those 20 seconds that he's saying that and listen like listen to the words that he said because that is probably one of the biggest lessons that a creative could possibly learn. I want to end on this note with this podcast. How long ago was it when you like overcame like alcoholism? Like when you like started becoming sober? Um April 23rd, 2016. 2016. So that was 4 years ago. Almost 4 years. Almost four, four, years 4 years ago. So I wanna know what the Nick Rucker that's sitting in front of me now, if you if you bumped into the Nick Rucker four years ago on the streets downtown, and you could tell him something, give him a piece of advice, give him some insight, or just blatantly do you just wanna say something to him, what would you tell yourself four years ago?
1: That's rough. That's yeah. <clears throat> that's hard to say. If I would have bumped into who I was um that time, I would have been it probably would have been like, hey, things are about to get a lot better Mm -hmm. and like I know you don't believe that right now Mm -hmm. but I guarantee that Mm -hmm. like once you make this decision that's about to happen the all these doors are gonna open and it's it would be more of
0: like just wait. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely, you'll see. <laughs> <laughs> you'll see. I love that. Well, Nick, thank you so much for coming on the show. If yeah. you guys really, if you guys are still listening and you guys are enjoying this, I'd really appreciate if you guys followed Nick on all of his socials. Nick, if you could just send people over to your Instagram or whatever it is, like where where can you send people?
1: Um, Instagram. Um, I've got Ruck Country on Instagram. Then Nick Rucker Country on Facebook. Uh, Twitter is is uh, mm-hmm. Ruck Country, and then. Um, that's pretty much you can listen to all my music and stuff on of course Spotify yeah, all the platforms. iTunes all everything Absolutely. so YouTube channel which isn't really that popular but it's,
0: it's cool <laughs> it will be it will be <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening. If you want to listen to more episodes on this podcast, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, and YouTube. Just type in The Pursuit of Creativity and you will find my beautiful face on that cover art. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we have Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Just look us up on The Pursuit of Creativity podcast and you will also see, some would probably say my ugly face. <laughs> That's totally okay. You'll see content from this podcast. You'll listen to some short audio waveforms, like one minute clips of just like some of the best moments of all of the podcasts on that page. So you'll definitely want to go check that out, follow it. Um, But with that being said, guys, I will leave you with this. Always remember to work hard, be patient, and pursue creatively. I will see you guys in the next episode. Peace out.